1: We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stauffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America-wide? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 chat.
0: 133 in Edmonton. This is our last segment together before Bob is back from vacation. I'll take over tomorrow, 12 noon, from the Palatial Stopper Estate. I'll be in Cody's spot. Cody, Cody will probably be, be uh, downstairs. I'll be golfing. Be because- <laughs> This guy. We were going to golf yesterday, and then it was just so bloody windy we decided not to. Yeah, I think that was a smart choice at that point, though. Like it was, it was cold at some points. Yeah, and the the wind was howling. We were gonna It was like a half hour drive from my house. You were coming from Fort, so it was easily that. We decided to take a rain check. But I'll tell you, who wasn't taking rain checks throughout the course of his vacation last week? It's Reed Wilkins, the host of Inside Sports here on six thirty. Chad Reader, I don't doubt for one second you got a couple days in out on the links. So we'll start there. How'd you golf this week?
1: Uh, I golfed twice. One round was okay, kind of to my uh, normal level of ability. And I was just talking to Cody off air. The other round was uh, a complete and absolute disaster. And uh, again, threw me back into my constant ongoing internal struggle about whether I should actually keep playing the game Mm -hmm. because it was one of those rounds where, well, I wasn't actually playing the game. I was just uh, (laughs) looking for my ball in in the bush or, or, or knowing it was lost or scrambling out of trouble and wasn't really doing anything actually resembling playing the game of golf. Now, in most rounds I have, you know, between maybe two to five holes like that depending on the round even Mm -hmm. the round i had on wednesday which turned out pretty good in the end because i had a pretty good back nine for for my for my own level of ability but yeah the round i had on thursday was it, it just made me feel like why am i doing this why am i spending money on this, and then not having fun for three and a half to four hours, and not even doing the sport that I'm doing, I, you know, and really let, let's face it, Brendan, I'm an embarrassment to the people I play with, and I, and I won't say their names, <laughs> but uh, it's to that point where I'm sure they were thinking this 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 middle aged man should not be allowed on a golf course, should not be allowed to own clubs, should not be allowed to talk about the game, professionally should not be allowed to interview golfers or, or really even know how to spell the word, should probably have the letters F removed from his alphabet. I would operate with a 22-letter alphabet without the four letters that spell golf. That's the kind of round I had on Thursday. Does that offer any clarity?
0: It does, and we've all been there. We've all had those days where we come home, and if and if you haven't taken the pictures to post your set of clubs on Kijiji you're darn well thinking about it so basically my benchmark has become well shoot if I if I hit three or four shots over the course of a round that I know make me want to come back and play again that's all I'm looking for that's all I'm hoping for keep it under triple digits and make sure that you hit at least two shots or three shots that make you remember that you actually are capable of doing that.
1: Yeah, see, that's my problem is because I've I've had some rounds that they, again, for my level of ability, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, I would actually consider pretty good. So when I and I know I can't do that all the time, so I don't think my expectations are unrealistic. Though most people would probably tell me my expectations are unrealistic, but I I, I still want my bad rounds to be not complete disasters. For there still to be something to take out of them, <laughs> and I spoke. I guess to be fair, on Thursday I actually was very good off the tee. Uh, I think I hit one worm burner, but it still went straight and wound up just on the edge of the fairway. Uh, but yeah, once I had to use an iron or chip, uh, then it was pretty much as if I had never. Like uh, here's the thing: I I feel like. Old Tom Morris is ashamed of me. He's he's rolling over in his grave and thinking I put in all this work, inventing the sport, <laughs> modifying the rules, and uh, and I think old Tom Morris is is greatly ashamed of me.
0: Trevor has texted us to say this is all the exact reason why I don't golf. Yeah, you know what, Trevor? Yeah,
1: Trevor, I'm you, with you, buddy. You you've, made,
0: you've made a wise,
1: you know, wise life decision. I can't I can't question anybody who's given up the game. But yeah. it, it is a, it is a social experience too like i definitely get to see some uh uh i mean this summer i've got to see some people that i I wouldn't have got to hang out with otherwise because it was safe to golf and and social distance and and make time for it and then there's a couple buddies that uh the closest thing i have to to regular golf partners so it's it's good to see them so i try to remind myself of that but i was having trouble doing it on thursday and by the way i played Yager ridge it was first time i ever played it and I, i actually thought it was a really cool course it's just too bad I couldn't sort of of use the course anywhere near it was the the way it was intended, but it's a it's a neat layout, uh, some good variety of the holes, lots of elevation changes, quite a few uh, elevated. boxes that kind of have nice views off them. So it was cool to finally uh, play that course because I've been wanting to get out there for the last couple of years.
0: Peter from Wainwright says, boys, I had such a bad round two years ago, I have not been golfing since. Charity golf tournament and a huge embarrassment on my part even had the head of my five iron end up in the bush. See, that's kind of what oh. I'm worried about, Reed, because I, I'm, I'm dipping my toe into the sports media scene so far, just about two years in. In fact, like a week and a half from today, it'll be two years. I think there's an expectation that you've got to be able to get around a golf course, uh, especially as a hockey media person, so to speak. And so and to be able to do so without being embarrassed, I think, is, is a pretty big thing. But you're not alone, Peter. We've all had those rounds. <laughs> uh, I, I'm here for you. I mean, I, people who listen to Inside Sports
1: probably know between, you know, maybe two to four times a summer. I might just seriously get into either either celebrating some progress I feel I've made on the golf course or or lamenting my my lack of performance, mm-hmm. and it tends to bring out some uh, some audience participation, like you just got from from Peter and Trevor. It, it is it is really an evil game. It, it is really an evil game. Mm-hmm. But you see it played as it was yesterday. I watched uh, the last couple hours of the final round of the tournament, and. Those putts, uh, Johnson first of all to force the playoff, and then an even more incredible putt by John Rahm to win it, and and you just appreciate how how good they are, and and, and really as much as. In this day and age, the the equipment allows them to just smash the ball, and really a lot of holes are are driver wedge, you know, unless there's some sort of obstacle in the way. But a lot of it comes down to to putting, and and you saw their ability to read the green. I mean, that putt, I don't know if you saw it, Brennan, but that putt Rom made 66 feet wow, and about 10 feet of break uh, going down over a slope. And just the, the fact that he could, I mean, that's one of those putts, if I had and I got it within 10 feet, I'd think, well, <laughs> That's a great putt that I even rolled it down anywhere to the hole and that those guys are thinking about making it and then actually making it. I, I really appreciate that level of ability. It's going to be fun, uh, the Tour Championship this, uh, this weekend and then still the U.S. Open and the Masters to come in the fall. It's going to be neat.
0: How about the fact that Rom one-upped Dustin Johnson on his just to send it to a playoff? I thought that was crazy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, and that's the thing, like they, the, the way they both use that green and the slope of that green, but from different angles, uh, you know, Rom had to go a longer distance and was coming at it more from the side. So he had to get the ball to that ridge in the green and then let it break down to the right, whereas Johnson was kind of more straight at it, but still had to read that it was going to, left and then come back just a little bit or go right and then come back left a little bit at the end. Um, so just, and that's the thing, like how good they are reading the greens, yeah. because when, when, especially when I go to a course I haven't played before, it, it always takes me a few holes to realize like, oh, okay, like some greens, they they look flat, but then you realize, oh no, there's break there. And then other, sometimes you'll play another course. Uh, I mean, Riverside, which I play quite frequently, there's only two or three greens that actually have a lot of breaks. So sometimes you have to remind yourself okay, it looks like it's going to move a foot, but it's probably gonna go, only going to move a couple inches. So don't, you don't have to give it that much. So the, the touch that they have on, on the Pro Tour is, is just amazing. Yeah, well,
0: and that'd be the situation where they're getting the number of the speed of the green and then playing accordingly. And that has lost me and probably is certainly going to lose our audience. Um, I don't know if Patrick Russell has been golfing in Denmark since he's been there, Reid, but he signs a one year one-way $700,000 contract with the Oil. Uh, This is the type of deal I believe that needed to happen for the team. They've got to not only have the continuity with some of their role players, but Russell's a guy who can go out there and forecheck hard and serve a purpose and understands that that is his role as well. What did you make of the signing?
1: Well, I think the reason Patrick Russell has been re-signed is that coaches trust him when they do have to put him in the lineup. And and let's not kid ourselves, he's not going to play 82 games, he might not even play 41 games. Uh, uh, He's probably going to be a 14th forward. But we've now seen it with, with a couple of different coaches. Uh, Ken Hitchcock in the, the two-thirds of the season he coached and, and Dave Tippett this past season, that they trust Patrick Russell when he is on the ice. And I, I think with Russell, he plays the game in a straight line. And, and we often talk about know your role, know who you are. And I think that's Russell has been able to, to figure that out. Now, of course, you know, you'd like it if he popped in a couple, he had the one disallowed in Vancouver, I think uh, back in December, when on the goalie interference call, which would have been his first NHL goal. So, so you'd love his name to be on the score sheet a little more, even in a depth role, because you look at the teams that are doing well here in the Stanley cup playoffs, they, they have, you know, nine to 12 forwards that, that at least can finish plays or get yeah. points. But but for Russell, if he's a, thir- a 13 or 14 forward and, and he has that trust and, and he can grind and win those battles to get the puck out inside his own blue line, th- then he's probably a safe player. And if there's a situation where he has to play because of injuries or fatigue or someone in a slump, that uh, the coaches feel comfortable putting him in. And I think this is another reminder too, Brandon, and, we, and we've touched on this throughout the sort of the, the pause and now into the playoffs, I think it's another reminder that it's a short off season and there's not going to be a lot of time to, to shop. Right. So I think maybe Ken Hall and other GMs might be looking around and saying, okay, there might be a player who is a 5% improvement on Patrick Russell as a 14th forward, but am I going to be able to, you know, if I don't get the guy I want on July 1st, Uh, am I going to have until, I'm not going to have until you know September 15th to, to bring somebody in you kind of need to have players in place so you know, I'm fine with Russell uh being there in, in a depth role I don't, I don't think he's a top 12 guy but if he's a, he's if he's your extra forward he can go in there and, and do his job
0: when needed yeah and that's exactly how I saw it too Haas says he makes a good point he says you know what you're going to get with Russell and I think that that's a, a good way to say the, the trust of the coaching staff you know that he's earned and to the point that I made earlier in the show you're not sacrificing the development of the 13th forward because russell's a guy where you you understand what you have as a hockey player right and and somebody who you just i I would not want to see put it this way if evan bouchard is your seventh defenseman we know this like that's not necessarily the best situation for his development you'd rather have him playing and i don't think you're running the same risk with a guy like russell so um again those are the kinds of moves that i think ken holland needed to make and as far as the offseason goes Like They might only have a three-week window to get stuff done, but it's going to be a real interesting fire sale over that period of time, given how much uncertainty there is right across the league as far as how the cap's going to be managed for the next several years. There's uncertainty there. So, um, you know, obviously having familiarity with your own guy is great, but also to say don't commit a bunch of money when there may well be a good value out there some point later on down the road, right?
1: Yeah, well, that's a good point by the texture. that, that With Russell, at least you know what you're going to get. And, uh, you know, he doesn't make huge mistakes. I mean, sure, every player is going to lose a puck battle or things like that, but he doesn't make, you know, foolish, irresponsible plays. I, I just think, and, you know, and we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but looking f- at the Oilers for next season, I, I still you know, it's not the, the Patrick Russell's of of the world that are going to make the difference. You know, if, like I said, if he's the 14th or 13th forward, he's fine. If he has to go in and play on the fourth line, I still kind of think they don't have a third line. You you know, I think the, obviously there's questions in the top six and there's, they were still trying to round that out, but you know, they have three pretty good players and Yamamoto, um, you know, despite having a tough playoff, looks like he's on his way to being a pretty productive player. I still kind of looked at their bottom six and, and said, okay, on a really good Stanley Cup contending team, those are both fourth lines, right? If you're if, it's just bundling kind of all those players together, you know, with Shane and Jujar and and Haas and, uh, you know, Chase on, I know Neil, could play higher in the lineup, but he was sort of in the in that uh, lower role in, in for most of the postseason. So that's still what I wonder for the Oilers. Like, and I, I know some some of these guys have been re-signed, Nygaard and Haas. So you're not. If they if they don't take a step forward, you're still kind of in the same situation where your top two lines are going to be productive and then you still kind of have what I would consider two fourth lines. Now, during a regular season, as we saw, that's not the worst-case scenario. It's certainly a better – I mean, really, when the Oilers finished the season under Hitchcock, they had a first line probably a couple – Third liners and then a bunch of AHL guys, right? So, I mean, they they have stepped forward from there. Uh, I I just wonder if you know if, if they bring back a lot of the same players can you really expect the team uh, the team to improve? Now, maybe there's something, obviously, trade, sh- signing. Even if they signed one player that changed the dynamic of the third line, maybe that would be enough to sort of shuffle people around and perhaps add a little bit more depth and a little more uh, offensive thrust up front.
0: And that seems to be, as we chat with Reed Wilkins from Inside Sports, that seems to be the idea, right, is that they're going to find a way to free up, say, 3 or $4 million worth of cap space, if you can, via trade or buyout or whatever, probably both. And then, how do you allocate that through the the rest of the lineup? So it's going to be, you know, the biggest improvement, I guess, season over season. So if you're looking at what they were missing more so than anything else, I think that the you you got to figure uh, third line centermen So well, and that's the thing about Ar-
1: like to me Archibald, and and he he was flexible, right? He could move up and, and be productive, and he got the big overtime goal against Carolina, but. If Archibald, you know, Shane came in and did his job, but to me, he's a fourth line player. So if Archibald is a th- third liner with a, a center who is a little more well-rounded and what I'm meaning is has better offensive ability than Shane, then that immediately changes the dynamic of that line, that line for sure.
0: The penalty-killing ability of Riley Sheehan and the fact that he was pretty well the team's best guy in the face-off circle over the course of the entire season, those are two pretty important reasons that I would look to bring him back. I just don't know what kind of raise he's expecting to get or what kind of, what kind of payday or what kind of market there would even be for somebody like him. And if the knock on a guy in 2020 is that he's got slow foot speed, that's usually not very appealing to most teams around the league right now. So I wonder whether there is an appetite for him to stick around but if not if not maybe this is a year where Gaetan haas is able to body more of a consistent load as the fourth line center in that sense and that still would then leave the opening at third line center
1: well and is Kara going to be a center yeah because i think that's where he would like to play and clearly they were trying him there um but again, if or can either of those guys really be a third-line center? Jujar has been too inconsistent. And his offensive numbers have been more in the, along the lines of a fourth-liner. And And same with Haas. So that, again, that's why I would still be worried about there being a hole there on the third
0: line. Chatting with Reed Wilkins from Inside Sports and Reader, once these um, series finish up out east and we're getting pretty close with a couple of 3-1 leads, then teams will make their way to the west for the conference finals and the Stanley Cup final. Do you have any opinion on the fact that guys are welcome to a change of scenery coming from the east to here in the different bubble or uh, doesn't really make a difference?
1: Well, I think that, they they'll used to be in a bubble by now and and now you, i i think they'll really realize how how close they are you well, know, what what's the old Wayne Gretzky line? You know, you know, you're having a good playoff when you look up at the out of town scoreboard and there are no games on it, right? Because <laughs> you're you're the only team playing. You're either in the Stanley Cup Final or you're on alternate nights with the other conference. So I think that uh, they're they're used to bubble life. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what the schedule. I mean, potentially this round could end tomorrow, and then I just wonder how quickly they would start the conference finals. I, I would guess, but I didn't hear all of John Shannon. I don't know if he brought it up, but i would guess friday or saturday they'd probably give a day or two in between just to allow these teams to travel and get settled into the bubble and i assume they'd want to you know keep well that they're going to keep keep testing everybody but i i think that at this point they're they're used to bubble life whether it's uh whether it's toronto or edmonton and now you really get a sense of they're really getting a sense of how close they are to winning the stanley cup right eight victories away if you make it to the conference final
0: mm-hmm. read what's coming up on your show tonight
1: okay well we'll uh go to talk to jack michaels that'll Ooh. be fun we'll uh touch a little bit on uh the blue jays a little bit more on patrick russell uh we'll, i want to talk a little bit about barry trotz who do you not have to consider him one of the best coaches ever he just keeps winning yep i i know like he only has one cup but if <laughs> you look back on his record in nashville got washington there and i think he's a big part of the islander success
0: right on reed i appreciate you taking the time man i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment That is Reed Wilkins. We'll press pause one last time here on Oilers Now. Back to wrap up after this.
1: This is Oilers Now with Bob Stauffer on
0: Oilers Radio, six thirty, Chad. Pizza, pizza, pasta, so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years now. Royal Pizza is offering curbside pickup and takeout options for the menu. And a list of their 13 Edmonton and area locations. Go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. The Escott recommendation, the meat lovers. The pepperoni is probably pretty good too. Haven't had the pleasure of trying it yet, but I can tell you the meat lovers lives up to expectation. On this day in 1990 in Oilers history, free agent forward Kenny the Rat Linsman signs with the Oilers after six seasons in Boston and a cup of coffee with Philadelphia. He finishes with 36 points in 56 games in his penultimate NHL season, which really ended up being his last if you want to look at it. Because he only played two games with Toronto in 1991-92 and that was it for Mr. Linsman. Now, that's an interesting one, Cody, because he wasn't Oilers, and then he got sent to boston and he did battle with the oilers through the dynasty years in the 80s and then he got traded at the deadline it appeared anyway i would have to corroborate this from boston to philly did kenny linsman and then still had to battle the edmonton oilers in that sense too just couldn't escape him imagine some of those rivalries though like oh, yeah. you know being on both sides of the fence that must have been pretty cool for him Without a doubt. And now you you wonder whether anybody would, you know, cross the, uh, deliberately would rather than get traded like Luigi and did for one another with Calgary. Would a free agent who once played for either one of these clubs sign south of the border? I guess Cam Talbot did that, right? Yeah. Huh. All right. All right. Probably meant a lot more back in the 1980s. That's my take on it. I could be crazy. 157. It's been a week. It's been a week and a day. And I'll take this time to just say thank you to everybody who contributed on the text line. you know, it wasn't an easy end to the week. We had a lot of fun despite that. And I appreciate, again, you lending me your ear over the last stretch. Bob is back tomorrow. Tomorrow, we will have Sportsnet's Mark Spector for the horses. Horse Racing Alberta, who present the Alberta uh, Alberta Breeders Fall Classic. That features Alberta's best head-to-head action this Sunday at Century Mile. Spectator access is limited, but remember, you can watch and wager. HPIBet.com for that Cody thank you for everything that you did to help out in my position appreciate it my friend I might head to the lake this upcoming weekend so you might have something to do on Friday we'll see there we go all right (laughs) up next global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell followed by the 630 chat afternoons with Jalen Nye Brendan Escott saying so long from the 630 Chad Studios. It's been a pleasure. We'll chat tomorrow at noon. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon
1: on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.